0: Welcome to ACC Nation, I'm Jim Quist, that's Will Oginen, and we have a special guest with us, his name is Kelly Quinlan, and you've probably seen him here before, and we're glad to have him back. Kelly is the publisher of Jackets Online, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what else, Georgia Tech, a lot going on there. We're going to start with football, Kelly, because there's uh, a lot of a lot of rumor mill going on these days, but we want to start with the facts. Um, let's look back at what happened with the football season last year and what the expectations are for Jeff Collins moving forward.
1: So, I mean, last year, you know, they start out the season um, losing to Northern Illinois um, in kind of a heartbreaking game. Jeff Sims gets hurt, the starting quarterback in the game. They come back and then they they had a touchdown that didn't happen. And a two-point conversion that got overruled as well. That were sort of judgment calls by the refs. Lose that game. Um, They beat uh, I'm blanking out the FCS team they beat um, in in week two. Then they went to Clemson and nearly upset Clemson, Uh, who turned out to be bad. We didn't. No one knew that at that point. Or a mediocre Clemson team. And then they beat North Carolina and everyone's like, okay, you know, they're two and two, everyone's excited. And then they go out and get shellacked by Pitt. And, and then it just kind of went downhill from there. A lot of close losses, uh, you know, talk about the Northern Illinois game, Clemson, uh, you know, later in the season, Boston college at Miami they you know, have the lead late in the game there uh, come storming back at Virginia, have a chance to win that game. Um just it, it was just a very frustrating season and you know they s- hit that three wins again uh you know jeff collins fires three assistants has two more leave on their own for other jobs and you have half the assistants now on the field are different people um a new offensive coordinator and you know jeff collins probably taking the reins of the defense um with andrew thacker still lists as a defensive coordinator but everyone that I've talked to thinks he will be, you know, more involved with calling the actual defense and it being his defense, because right now it's his job's on the line. He's got to win seven, eight games to, to go bowling, like, you know, to show progress, to show that, you know, we've done this is year four and you've won nine games so I, going into it. Like that ain't good. Like it's not good anywhere. It's not good at a place like Georgia tech. That's consistently won really uh, since, you know, Bobby Ross's third season. So um, they haven't had valleys like this at any point. You know, they had one bad season with Paul Johnson where they won three games. Another way they didn't go bowling, just sort of flukishly uh, with a a couple of weird games and won five games. But it's a far cry from winning three. And and they were competitive in the Coastal. So, you know, you look at this upcoming season, you have... um, Basically, a total upheaval in the ACC Coastal. With you know, Cutcliffe's gone, uh, Broncos gone, uh, Joseph Fuente's gone. Pitt loses um, Kenny Pickett, who was seemingly there for the entire time. Pratt and Arduzi's been the head coach. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's just going to be a different animal this year. And then you have Miami with Cristobal taking over. So um, who's you know on paper a much more um, capable coach than Manny Diaz ever was, and. They've got to be dangerous, but you know the other teams. Who knows where they're going to be at? So I think it's going to be a really interesting season for Tech. And then they draw Ole Miss, uh, Georgia, and uh, at UCF in their non-conference schedule, which is sort of nuts. And uh, it's not a recipe for for contract extensions and 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 you know big winning seasons for Georgia Tech.
0: That's for sure. It's a very unsettling situation that you just sort of laid out there, um, <clears throat> especially with. You know, a couple of the coordinators being tossed aside and then others just looking at it and going, no, thanks. I'm hitting the road. Let me get my knapsack and put it on a stick and and run on down the interstate. Talk to us a little bit before we get into more detail, because I know I know Will's got some specific questions that he wants to ask and I do, too. Um, But tell us uh, your thoughts about these these coordinators that have been brought in and and what we might expect from them
1: so chip long replaces dave patno dave patno kind of struggled with the personnel and and what they were trying to do he he was running a, a real pass heavy offense it was interesting like they were like so if you look at the stats they ran the ball more than they threw it right and for all three years the reality is you have to really get into the stats drop. When you look at number of dropbacks, they had, it was actually higher than the actual rushing attempts, meaning there was a lot of scramble rushes and, and breakdowns and guys running for life and set a lot of sacks too. that kind of threw the stats off and um, gave them more rushing numbers than they probably had. You know, you take over a team with, without a quarterback who can really throw down the field the first year. And what do they do? They drop back a lot and try to throw the football, which, you know seemed crazy to me and it wasn't because they were losing because when they would lose games they actually ran the ball more to shorten the game for whatever reason so um you know i like dave dave's a great guy he got a job at old dominion um i just think it was a bad fit in terms of the scheme and the personnel and what they had and and you had sort of incongruity between what you know maybe the type of football jeff collins wanted to play what brent key the offensive line coach assistant head coach wanted to do and and to Char choice the running backs coach who left for usc and then ended up at texas what those guys wanted to do and i think what dave patten wanted to do clashed, and it just it looked like it on the field they looked discombobulated a lot they didn't seem to have great game plans week to week the game plans changed a lot and and that was a big issue and they fired nate burton who was the co-dc and the safeties coach the safeties were atrocious they got worse each year he was there they took over a decent safety room with talent uh the first year they were okay and then the last two years they've been pretty horrible and you know had guys that were probably draftable grades ending up you know turning into street for agents and stuff and having to rework their way into to getting drafted like tariq carpenter who's had a lot of injuries and Wanya e. thomas who are both really talented kids they regressed um he gets fired. The cornerback's coach seemed like he was a little bit of um, a guy that kind of got caught in the middle of this. I thought the corners played okay, but not great, and he gets fired too. So, And then you have the tight ends coach, Chris Wiesahan, leave for Temple for a raise and a, a higher position where he has some stake in the offense. And Chip Long moves in there. They hire Chris Winky as a quarterback's coach. They bring back Travaris Tillman from Michigan State and they bring in mike daniels from um uh, buffalo to, to be the running backs coach for place to replace Tashar choice and mike daniels great guy um but to choice was a guy who played at georgia tech and and you know folks loved him and he was a great recruiter he brought him jameer gibbs he brought you know developed that room really well and so that's a loss um you know chris wheeze had been with jeff since he had been a head coach um you know, that's a loss there. I think Chris just wanted to, to have a little more say in things, and it was not going to be that way with Chip. And, and Chip, Brent Key, and Chris Winky are all sort of in lockstep. They all know each other and are friends. So I think that will bring some cohesion to the offense. Defensively, I, I don't know what they're doing because they kept Andrew Thacker, who had the, you know, arguably the worst defense of the P5. Um, he's not going to coach a position now. They brought in Jason some more to coach linebackers and thacker is now a dc only and not coaching the position so that's kind of a strange deal you don't see a ton of that and so the only time i've ever really seen that is with a really older coach that's like just a guru guy like monty kiffin or someone don brown or somebody like that that's you don't usually see that with a younger coach but they're gonna have him float where he goes around and helps different positions in practice and 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 I think Jeff's going to call his own D. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's on him. And if he doesn't, I think it's going to affect his career because people are going to wonder why he didn't do that when your back's against the wall. Why are you not calling your own defense? So I think he kind of has to, at this point, step up and, and be the guy to call the defense.
2: So, do you expect him to be a little more the the defense as a whole to be a little more aggressive with this change? I mean, the defense only had three interceptions last last season, but I guess at the only same one, time, only t-
1: one against a, a, an FBS team. Yeah, too, which but is um, a great stat.
2: Yeah, it's not great, but I was going to say at the same time, you were talking about how bad the safeties were, and they can they afford to be aggressive?
1: Um, you know, that's that's the million dollar question. I feel like they were they they struggled when they brought pressure to get home and they struggled to get off blocks up front and the secondary didn't play well and i think it's all to me defense and offense is always a yin-yang thing and i've seen it everywhere i've covered teams whether it's georgia tech or uga or other places um if if one side of the ball plays well it tends to lift up the other side and when they both struggle and you don't have faith in the offense the defense is going to press and it's going to lead to a lot of mistakes. And those guys have to play fast and loose. It's hard to play defense these days. You're going to give up plays, but when you're trying to be perfect, it's really hard. And I think that's where they got caught. They were trying to be perfect and they ended up struggling. And, and to me, I think what I would, what they got to do is be aggressive up front, get sacks, get pressure. Cause I don't know that the secondaries, the secondary should be a little better corner probably and uh, maybe step back a little bit safety and just on paper. So to me, you need to be aggressive and they got Keon white who was their star defensive player. He ended up playing sort of on one leg at the end of the season, four games. And you saw flashes. He has, you know, he looks like a man. Like he looks like a guy you see playing on Sundays. The first guy I've seen from that position room to look like that in a long time at Georgia tech, he looks like a guy who would play at Georgia or Alabama. And um, you need him to be productive. You need Jared Ivey, Kyle Kennard, um, Jordan Dominic. Those guys they have back, they got to get, you know, 15 sacks between them. Like, that's the type of production you need D tackle to give you production. And then the secondary and the linebacker position, which has been the two areas of really struggle on the defense, they got to step up and make plays too. And
2: and the guys up front have to funnel the action towards them and, and not give the quarterback forever to pick them apart. How does this change in offensive philosophy affect Jeff Sims? Do you see him running the ball more? I'm really curious about that because Chip suffers
1: no fools. That's the one thing you talk to anyone from Notre Dame. From talking to Chip personally, like he is a guy that's like, you know, I, I'm demanding as a coach. And that was a little bit of an issue. Notre Dame, you can only have two jerks and in there, you can only have one jerk at the top. And Brian Kelly was the jerk at Notre Dame (laughs) chip long kind of out jerked him there. And that's why they ended up parting ways. Right. And he learned from that, but at the end of the day, he's a demanding guy and he's going to expect a lot. And Jeff Sims has been treated a little bit with kick gloves and was, you know, Maybe, you know, it's interesting to, you know, was he was he hurt or was he injured at the end of the season? Like that's a whole other big question that people wonder about. Like how hurt was he as Jordan Yates kept getting trotted out at the end of the year versus him maybe just not want to play against Georgia and Notre Dame with the way the offense was going. Like those are the things that, that are going to get sussed out with Chip Long. Like he's not going to, you know, suffer fools. They added Zach Gibson from Akron who gives them a capable backup quarterback but the guy i'm kind of keeping my eye on is zach pyron who's come in as a uh early enrollee freshman quarterback from alabama that kid's tough and he is not scared and uh, you know i it'll be interesting to see if jeff can hold him off and and how tough jeff is and if jeff can make it through through a whole um season playing for chip and chris chris wiki's sure not a, a chill dude either who's going to lay back, who's the new quarterback's coach. He was a tough quarterback, a very tough player. And they expect that from those guys. And that's the one thing that, you know, Jeff has been a guy who's run out of bounds and pulled up a little bit at times and and made some mental lapses in games. How does that go? And how do how does that reaction? Because it's going to be, he's not going to be calmly talked to on the sideline. I think it's going to be a little more animated. So that's the, the million dollar question. How does Jeff Sims react to that? because the kid's got all the talent in the world, right? He has all of the tools you look for. Um, he can run the football. He can throw it. He has good touch. can throw a deep ball as a strong arm. But he has made a lot of mistakes and struggles with his reads. He's, you know, making two reads when he should make it three or four. Offensive line hasn't played great in front of him to help either. So there's so many questions I'm really curious about with all this.
2: So let me ask you about the running back situation. Obviously, uh, Jameer Gibbs is gone. He's now at Alabama, and we all know how it goes. You know, when an ACC player goes to the SEC, they're automatically a Heisman front runner. So he'll probably be a front runner there. Uh, the the backup Mason is in the NFL draft, but they did get Hassan Hall in the transfer portal and Griffin's back. Do you still see them kind of going with a two back set then? Well, they got Dante
1: Smith too, who's the Smith. highest. Um, you know, maybe the second highest rated, like by pro football focused running back in the ACC and really talented guy, uh, would be a starter at most schools in the ACC. Dante's going to be, I think the, the alpha dog, I think Jamias Griffin steps into that role that, um, that Jordan Mason played as the power back, the third down guy that blocks Hassan Paul's really interesting because he's very much like Gibbs. He's a guy that can line up at multiple spots on the field. And I think he gives them a little bit more of like what Notre Dame has with like Chris Tyree or something like that that gives you some flexibility in what they do out of the backfield, and that's something that Chip Long seems to like. Uh, I think that Hassan is a also gives you that kick return element which they need to replace with Gibbs as well, and a home run threat right, and him and Dante have the home run threat piece of it. They added antonio martin and uh, jamie felix as high school signees who are talented guys and running backs is a position where you can play early like it doesn't it's not like trying to play a quarterback or something running backs you know they can come up with ways to use those guys so i think yes you will see more two back sets probably uh, you know they don't really have the tight ends yet i think to play a lot of heavy sets uh like notre dame did and and really the wide receiver position will be interesting too because that's sort of in transition as well I'm curious to see what Chip Long decides is sort of the base thing that they're going to do really well. And to me, I could totally see it being, you know, a two-back set and with a tight end in the slot.
0: Kelly, um, I was on a a Twitter Spaces uh, segment with a couple of our friends, uh, Matt and, and Matthew, earlier today. And one of the things that they asked me was, what coaches are on a hot seat? And out of those coaches, if you would rank them from Arctic being basically zero to Dante's Inferno being 10, where would they be? Um, I didn't really have an answer for Jeff Collins, but I'm going to ask you that question. Um, If you were to look at Jeff Collins and say, I mean, so far the conversation is, is leading me to at least the middle of the ground. Let's see if it's anywhere below five or above five Arctic or Dante's Inferno Inferno for Jeff Collins this coming season.
1: Uh, You know, there is a possibility he doesn't make it through the season. Like I, I don't like, you know, it's at that end and it could be that he wins seven, eight games and is good to go for a little bit and buys himself some goodwill. And it's, it's, That whole middle ground that is really interesting to see what what the what the bar is, because we've asked, you know, the AD that we've asked, you know, Jeff what he thinks the bar is to stay. And there's not really a great answer. And uh there's no specifics, right? No one's being like, if he wins six games, he comes back. If he wins seven games, he comes back. He needs to be within three touchdowns of Georgia. Whatever the, the thing is, like there's not really a specific answer. So I think. If you go out and lose 41 to seven to Clemson in the first game, and then you lose to Ole Miss in, in Central Florida, and you're one and three after four games, he might not survive that, right? Like, depending on how badly those games go. On the flip side of it, if they're two and two, if they're three and one, he's looking pretty good going into ACC play. So they're going to have to adjust quickly. The schedule sucks. It's the hardest, probably front end of the schedule of anyone in the country right now. And it's um, you know it's a, it was a a really strange decision what happened you know it's weird how it worked out the Ole Miss game is a game that got kicked back twice because they didn't want to face Paul Johnson the UCF game is a re um, a reschedule from the Hurricane game in 2017 that got canceled at UCF so neither one of those games you would normally have you'd be playing you know a MAC team or whatever instead of uh, central Florida. And you might not be playing Ole Miss. You might be playing Cal or someone that's a little more um, within striking distance of where you are as a program, Illinois, whatever it is, like you're not playing, you know, Ole Miss who's coming off their best season in school history. <laughs> so <laughs> to me, like, well, I get, you know, I don't know Ole miss history. I know this was the first season they won 10 games. So like, that has gotta be up there for them. But um, to me, like, it just it reeks of everything you don't want as a coach right like going into this year and and jeff has got a lot riding on this right like it's going to be a while before he gets another shot at the chair if this goes poorly and he gets fired at, at his dream job and and a lot of it's his own doing because he came in and he he talked about how elite they were going to be and how great they're going to be and we're going to put guys in the nfl and win all these games and bring georgia tech back to being ranked all the time and He poo-pooed what Paul Johnson did the first year really hard and turned a lot of people off. And when you do those things, you better back them up on the field. And he didn't. And, you know, there's a thousand reasons why that didn't happen. And some of them were in his control and some of them weren't. But at the end of the day, like managing expectations is a big part of coaching too. And, you know, you look at the basketball program at Georgia Tech, Josh Passner did that. When he got hired, Mike Babinski and Josh Passner were like, this is a five, six year plan, right? And in year five, they win the ACC championship. And they showed progress each year. They had flashes of decent seasons in between. They'd have some upset wins and things like that. Other than the North Carolina game, they haven't really had that here either. They beat my a bad Miami team in Miami the first year, and um, you know, in 2020, I'm trying to think, did they have like an upset? Not really. Um, so. You know, they beat a bad, what turned out to be a mediocre North Carolina team that everyone thought was really good on paper because of Mac Brown and Sam and Sam Howell. And that's that's going to be the thing that kills him right now. He doesn't have a signature moment. You know, like like Paul Johnson when he got the job, he beat Georgia's first year And um, Athens, come from behind win, very dramatic. Like those, you know, those moments make a difference, right? In getting people to buy him, Chan Gailey got his his ass beat at Georgia his first year and it, it killed his program in a lot of ways. Like from that moment on, he was sort of on a click and top clock and they were still winning, but you know, he got fired after winning seven games. So to me, I I, I just feel like the, the clock's ticking on Jeff and he's got to figure it out. And if he doesn't, he's going to find himself unemployed either, you know, Week four, week five, week seven, whatever it is, or at the end of the year, and that sucks because I like Jeff Collins, a good dude. I think his plan actually will work at Georgia Tech, but the execution of it has not gone as planned. And and ultimately, that's we are in a results-based business. All the things that we do, you know, regardless if you're the head coach of Georgia Tech or you work at Enterprise or InterCar or McDonald's or whatever, like everyone has to produce right and you know, I have to grow my business. You guys have to grow your business. Jeff Collins has got to win games. That's ultimately what his business is about. And, and, you know, fans are not showing up in in heavy doses. The attendance is way down and that speaks volumes. And when money stops coming in, that creates a lot of problems.
0: So I won't at this moment, put you on the hot seat any further. I'm just going to say he's, he's sitting at five to eight.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it could go much hotter if if the season starts poorly, you know, if they upset Clemson, then, you know, I think, I think they'll be in for a decent season and he's probably good to go. He
0: gets to to, uh, sit on an ice cube or two at that point.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's ultimately what this is, right? Like we've seen plenty of guys survive uh, near firings and turn things around. And we've seen a lot of guys that don't survive it and end up getting, you know, torched. I mean, I remember being in, 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 uh, Tampa in 2009 on the field during the championship game and Clemson boosters coming up to me and telling me how jealous they were of Paul Johnson. They had this idiot Dabo Sweeney as their coach, you know, interesting. like that's the ultimate irony, right? Like people don't like in the moment, right. You don't know, like, look at, um, you know, how hot Tom Herman was when he got the Texas job, right? Like can't miss great hire, and, you know, he's unemployed a few years later. Like, it, you just never know with these things, like what's going to work, what doesn't work. And, and that's ultimately going to be the big thing that Jeff gets judged on is wins and losses, rightly so. And and no one cares, like, how the, the cake's made. They just want the cake, right? Like, so he hasn't been producing much cake.
0: Yeah, yeah this is a karma happens moment. Um, go from this situation with football into basketball, but before we do that, and because I, I know Will's got a ton of questions about Josh Passner and what's going on there, the transition being the AD, because he's in a situation here. You've got Collins, you got Pastner, possibly as another coach who may be on a hot seat. You guys can talk about that in a minute. Right in the middle of that mess is your athletic director. What kind of situation is he in with this scenario?
1: So Stansberry has
0: tied himself to Jeff Collins.
1: Um, when he didn't fire him, when he didn't make him fire coaches that tied him directly to Jeff Collins They're they're sort of anchored together in the view of the people who matter at Georgia tech, right? Like, I'm not saying this is my perspective, but I'm saying that I've talked to people that cut checks, right. That have 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 skin in the game, you know. Todd went out on his own and hired Jeff. Um, did his own thing. Todd was hired sort of on his own by the former president of the school, sort of um, without the input of the the group they put together to to make that decision. Um, they wanted a tech man, so they hired Todd. Todd wanted a guy who knew Georgia Tech, so they hired Jeff. You know that was his decision making, and ultimately he's right. You know it's ride or die with him and um he had an opportunity to make a change he had the ability to make a change if he wanted to if he could have fired Jeff this past season and he chose not to and and that really and keeping Andrew Thacker and some of the other decisions they've made have pushed them together and the thing that irritates people the most probably is um there was no managing of expectations at the beginning like Mike Babinski did a great job of that like you know, he set the standard, you know, a lot of people hate him, but they set a standard for Passner. like this is going to be a struggle. You know, Josh Pastner walked into a situation where they turning like 12 points a game. Um, and two guys who had played at all, because Brian Gregory had put all of his dice in to try to make the tournament his last year at Georgia Tech. And so, you know, they he went out and he they they kept Josh Rakogi, who turned into a great player, and they had a pretty decent year the first year they shocked some people they developed Ben Lammers into an all-ACC big man and he has done a good job of coaching up their issue has been more of finding consistent talent and and building around the pieces that you need to to consistently win versus uh, player there's no question about Josh's player development and what they've done there and he has multiple guys playing the league right he has three guys playing the league right now um that he coached and developed at Georgia Tech completely but on his own right so with jeff you don't have that right you have the punter who was a great punter for paul johnson and that's about it like that are in the nfl and you know there's nothing to point to right like you don't have an acc player there, you don't have the acc defense player you haven't won an acc tournament you haven't won anything really in the ACC. So that's the big difference there. Josh, you know, they're having a tough year this year. Their schedule sucks. It was really hard. They opened playing. Um, they went through a stretch in December where they played, uh, you know, LSU. Uh, at, they played USC and Phoenix. They played um, North Carolina to open ACC play. They were all just terrible matchups with them. They lost one of their bye games to Alabama A&M that month and they got shut down for a couple weeks of COVID, lost a game in Syracuse. They come back from that, and they're playing Duke, Carolina, and Louisville, um, and Notre Dame, who are all good teams. So it's um it's been you know a challenge for them this year. Their schedule softens now as they head into the next part of the ACC play. So this is where you should see them start to make some moves. They played the two teams they match up the worst with uh, you know three times in, in Carolina and Duke. So now you get to play, you know, Wake Forest, who's an interesting team that's been good. You get to play, um, uh, you know, Virginia Tech twice. You get to play um, Pitt at Pitt. Uh, So, you know, you play at Miami, who is a really interesting team. We'll see how good they really are. Like if it's, you know, a little bit of smoke and mirrors or if they're really good, Florida State comes here. So the schedules, it's not as daunting now for them. Um they've gotten away from the teams they don't match up well with. And and the truth be told, really, other than the North Carolina game the other night, they've been in every game they played, um, with a chance to win the game in the second half. And, you know, Duke got home cooking at Duke, you know, there was a 40 to 12 foul free throw shooting disparity that had nothing to do with fouls at the end of a game. Um, you know, that that's a little hard to overcome. Um you know, uh the the first Carolina game was not great, but really everyone else they play pretty tight. So I think they're showing signs of progress, but you lose Jose Alvarado and you lose Moses, right? It's hard. If they're not North Carolina, they're not gonna just plug guys
2: in or Duke. So it's a little different. You're not getting McDonald's all Americans. So yeah, you were talking about some of the guys they lost, but uh I wanted to get a couple of injury updates on a couple sure. of guys. Um uh, Rodney Howard, I know has missed a little bit of time and he absolutely could have used him against North Carolina because Armando Baycott pretty much bullies everybody on the inside. What is his update? And then, uh, on Bubba Parham, I know he's not played much this year. I know he had a knee surgery and missed the start of the season, came back for a couple of games, but hasn't played. So I was wondering if he could get an injury update on those two. Sure. So Rodney Howard has an ankle
1: injury. He has missed, I think three weeks now they're hoping that he'll play this week. Um, on wednesday when they play um who are they playing this week i'm I'm blanking out on that wake forest wake forest yeah sorry so um you know hopeful maybe he'll play we'll find out tomorrow um from josh actually and then bubba's knee is swollen and he's coming off. he had tore his meniscus they repaired it they tried to get him back he came back his knee was hurting a little bit then he got covid and was shut down with covid for a couple of weeks and um he played in a couple of games and his knees just killing him and so they decided to shut him down and Josh told me the other day he's not sure he'll play again this year um which you know really stinks for them because other than Alvarado Bubba was their best defensive guard right he was a great ball pressure one thing that Bubba did that was really interesting is he was good at defending big men even though he's like a little five foot nine guy, like he would strip the ball. He'd deny passes. He was a real pesky defender. And that was a huge part of their zone defense and their man to man defense the last two years and losing him uh, on this team is really hurt because they don't have Kyle Sturdivant and, and Davon Smith are not anywhere near on that level defensively right now. And so that kills them a little bit there, you know, not having Rodney Howard's been really tough because not only did you lose that time, right? But he was a guy who was getting a little bit better game to game. You lost a month of developing him too now. And that's a killer because they needed him to develop into something, you know, Saba Gagabiria Giga, uh, Giga is not what um, you'd expect at this point. He's still struggling on offense with his hands. His you know footwork's not great on defense. Jordan Mecca plays okay on defense, but gives you nothing on offense. So, they're going small ball, and that was a terrible decision against North Carolina because they just, you know, they caught, killed them in the second half of that game. RJ Davis was getting kick out threes, and, um, you know, they collapsed to try to defend the post, and then it would open up a three point shooter. So it's sort of, you know, they have, they, they just are missing that one piece. They're missing a, a decent big man. If they had even, you know, an average one, um, they would probably be, you know, plus four games right now.
2: Michael DeVoe, he's been picking up the slack of the season. He pretty much leads the team in every statistical category, but he's also, I think he has more turnovers than he has assists. Is this just a classic case of him trying to do too much?
1: Yes. And he's getting frustrated because defenses have keyed on him so much. And really other than the Boston college game where you had Tristan Maxwell kind of go off with the seven threes, they haven't had somewhat a complimentary outside score other than Jordan Usher. So you need someone to take that pressure off of him. He's having to both handle the ball and drive and he's not getting the foul calls he wants. He's not a great ball handler. He can, he is worse with his right hand than I am. I'm left-handed. I played mediocre high school basketball, but I think I'm better with my right hand than he is like, and I love Mike, but he, you know, he, everyone just forces him to his left and pins him against the baseline and, and you know, they close down on him and they turns the ball over it gets, you know, you know, a lot of his turnovers have been even held balls, like where someone just comes in and grabs a ball. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, his frustration level is peaking. Carolina was his worst game in over a year, uh, since, uh, a game against Virginia, um, that they lost. Uh, he's just, you know, I, I think he's getting frustrated and, and it's showing and he shows his emotions on the court and, uh, they don't have a, a Jose Alvarado. They don't have a guy that can run the point and Take that pressure off of him um so he's facilitating the offense um and just struggling and, and until tristan maxwell Debo coleman or miles kelly or whoever it is steps up and starts shooting better from three they're going to keep doing that
2: so we, i feel like we've had a lot of negative about with georgia tech both on the football and basketball side but i want to bring up something positive as i one of the players that have really stood out to me for this team this year is Debo Coleman. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the best commits. Josh Passner's brought in in terms of ranking and he's really, really provided a spark started a few games. You know, he's really good three point you just a good all around shooter. So for people, for people who uh, don't follow Georgia tech super closely, what can you tell people about Debo Coleman? So it's interesting. He's like the
1: right-handed version of, uh, of Mike Debo. Um, and in some ways, but more physical, it's a bigger dude. Little more physical. He was a guy who played the same style of basketball in high school. He was basically, you know, a point shooting guard or whatever you want to call it, a combo guard. He handled the ball and facilitated everything himself and set up the offense. And he got to Georgia Tech. He had to learn to play off the ball, which has been the sort of struggle for him right now. And learning when to engage and how to finish. And and his struggle right now too is just he gives he has a lot of frustration fouls on defense. He's not quite he's close to making the right play, but. You know, maybe push, he hip checked a guy out of bounds uh, in the North Carolina game and picked up an early foul that kind of changed the momentum early in that game for them. Um, but he he is a really talented guy, a great volume scorer, and a guy who can shoot the three really well. It was interesting, he missed two free throws in the Notre Dame game that would have, uh, he missed a free throw on a, a set of two that would have sent the game, would have given them a chance to win the game. You know, they came back and and forced overtime. And um, he tied the game with the first one and missed the second one or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I watched him shoot for 45 minutes after the game while I was writing my story. He was in the gym, shoot free throws, like uh, until his arms were about to fall off. And that's just the kind of guy he is. He works hard, um, really talented. I think he's a guy who has a chance to play in the NBA maybe. Um, He can, he can, he's more athletic than Devoe is and more physical. Uh, maybe a little bit less of the passing acumen right now. Um, But I'm really excited about him. Davon Smith's maybe the most talented point guard I've seen in terms of just pure raw physical skills they've had uh, since Tony Akins maybe, or like, you know, crit or someone like, he just flies up and down the court. He just has no idea how to play within himself yet. And when he takes it down from like 110 to 100, he plays better. He's just missed a lot of shots at the goal and and made some dumb decisions with the ball at times. But I think once he figures out what he's doing, he's gonna be really dangerous too. So they have a nice core. You know, Miles Kelly's a really good player, just hasn't hit his threes yet. I think he's just lacking a little confidence out there. Tristan Maxwell, Vernon Maxwell's son, he showed what he could do in the BC game. He's just got that killer instinct piece to him. Once his he just has not played. He played four games in two years now, like five games, I think now. Like you know, once those guys get some experience, I think it's gonna be dangerous.
2: I didn't realize he was Vernon Maxwell. God. Yeah, Mad Max little older man. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. It's all you. turning gray there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ahead of ahead. you. That's all I can tell you. Uh ahead, Jim. Kelly. Um yep. <clears throat> you know there's, there's absolutely no way that anybody with with uh, an observant eye can miss the six strings over your shoulder there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So tell us a little bit about your, your music uh, tastes, (laughs) what you do with those guitars, man, in your, in your spare time.
1: Um, You know, I like classic rock. Um, uh, The, that, that thing behind me is, from ZZ Top. It's yeah. autographed by all three guys. No, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. Um, I got a autographed Who poster that you can't see over here uh, from John Fleet, John Atwistle. Um nice. Grew up playing the bass um, from the time I was in fourth grade, then switched over to guitar um, in high school mm. and have dabbled off and on with that. I have a collection. There's some other ones that aren't out. Um, and, yeah, in off office, I will take a break sometimes and, and play a little bit. Um, and, you know, Jeff Collins is always trying to get me to play on, on, on uh when we do this, when we we're doing Zooms there, he's always trying to get me to play and I, I try to get out of it um, just because I'm not interested in, in hitting a bum note on, uh, on somebody's podcast for, for that to be living in uh, like some sort of viral right. moment uh but you know like yeah i grew up i was in bands and stuff and and, and played for a long time and, and still dabble with it occasionally and it's a good way to kind of relax a little bit and um yeah big into you know um the who's easy top rush um bands like that uh you know even um and then singer songwriter stuff even too like neil young or ryan adams whatever
0: yeah very cool um interesting and trust me I, I think your decision about not playing and hitting that that bad note and having it go viral is is spot on because you know that's exactly what would happen it would be that just that moment mm-hmm. would become a meme so absolutely I, I doubt, i'm not interested it.
1: in uh i'm yeah. not a shredder so i'm not really it's <laughs> not i'm not gonna play chords like um you know, it, it's just funny because it's one of those things where it's like a no-win scenario, right? If you play right. and it's okay, everyone's like, okay. You know, I could, you know, come out and, and be Eddie Van Halen on there. So um I think you have to, if you could do that, then yeah, I think those are the people that are like, yeah, I'm going to come out and I'm going to tap and all this. And uh, that's not me. So, um, you know. I don't think anyone wants to hear a bass solo, so play some Bach or something on the double bass.
0: <laughs> All good stuff. Hey, uh, if you if you ever get to a point where you can uh, do the Star Spangled Banner like Hendrix, um, <laughs> <clears throat> I'll be more than glad to be your manager for free, and we'll set you up with the Atlanta Braves. I
1: appreciate it. Thank
2: you. How about the you? World Champion Atlanta Braves? Yes, the World Champion okay. Braves. That,
0: hey, that'd be that'd that'd be some good stuff talking about getting out in front of a large audience and suddenly forgetting how to play. Yeah. I have
1: sang the anthem as part of a choir. Mm-hmm. But I have never tried to like play it.
0: Yeah. not. It's not easy. <laughs> not no, easy. no, not that's easy.
1: not, uh, not really. I don't think, I think that ship may have sailed about 10, 15
0: years ago for me. Gotcha. Long, long time. So that's okay. You can enjoy it at home. That's a good thing. That's, that's the best way. Just put on a pair of headphones and go at it.
1: Yep. I um, have all my gear digital now. I don't really even have like full amps or anything. I have ways to yeah. do that, but I just listen and in, in my headset or whatever and play and I have a piano over there too. And I'm teaching the, um, my older son to play that. And
0: very good. Very so. good. Is he, is he picking it up?
1: Yeah. He loves it. He learned guitar early on. Um, uh, He plays the viola and and, uh, is learning a little piano.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Hey, our special guest is the publisher of Jackets Online, Kelly Quinlan. And as always, uh, what a great conversation. A lot of stuff that we've learned about what's going on at Georgia Tech and about your musical tastes, which we heartily (laughs) approve of. Kelly, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Thanks, guys. appreciate it.